Welcome to C-Suite Radio. It's time for another edition of The Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you and me! Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, it felt good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. Comedian Ian Lockwood is on the show today. Comedy pop star. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, you are a longtime staple and fan favorite in the Brooklyn underground comedy scene, which is very cool because it's very different than the traditional New York comedy scene. However, it is equally as important because a lot of people cut their teeth there and become superstars. And this is cool. I'm excited. That was one of the things that interested me when your publicist came to me about talking to you, because I've talked to so many other comedians, but I, I think this is a niche. I wouldn't even say niche. This is a very important part of the comedy scene in New York. So Ian, thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about this because you had a project. I can't even talk a project (laughs) come out uh, just recently, uh, comedy music single Orbo that was back in November. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I just put out the video for Orbo. I've been doing Orbo for like a year now and it's pretty much everyone's favorite thing that I do. It's a song about a, a digitally cloned version of me that is trapped inside of the computer and the computer land is kind of a hellscape and time works very differently so he's lived for thousands and thousands of years at this point and he lives a horrible tortured existence and i just think he's a funny silly kind of guy now that's very funny yeah it's different uh but it's funny <laughs> where where did this character this idea originate from Honestly, I, I've been doing some reflecting on it and talking about it, and I've come <laughs> to realize it it completely stems from my own fear of death, uh, which That's is funny. always a funny start uh, to a comedy bit, right? Um, it I I had been thinking, you know, AI is obviously in the news. I had watched some media that dealt with this idea, and I my greatest fear is probably like being held against my will, torture stuff. I love a gory uh, Halloween horror movie, but like a, a movie with torture, I I cover my eyes. I hate it. Um, so this kind of came out of me thinking, wouldn't it be horrible to be stuck living forever uh, paired to, and, and a lot of the time my songs come out of like a horrifying, terrible idea <laughs> paired yeah. with a really fun pop track. So that's, that's how this came about. Interesting. I think that's so fascinating. So let's look back a little bit and talk mm-hmm. about your career as a comic because it is comedy, but it's different. Like when you started out, how did you know which direction you wanted to go as far as your style of comedy, or was this always naturally part of your personality? So when I started, I wasn't a musical comedian. Actually, I started straight ahead doing stand-up and improv as well. 
I did improv when I was a kid. I did stand up when when I was like 16 years old, but didn't get serious about it for a while. And I always just had too much I wanted to do is the answer. I wanted to perform these things, but I wanted to write and I wanted to make crazy projects. So that led me into improv sketch stand up in New York City, starting at like the UCB. I actually took classes at UCB uh, in Los Angeles when I was a kid. And then I got a little frustrated, actually, with their system because people love UCB. It's a brand name for good reason. They're fantastic over there. But there aren't a lot of opportunities to get up on their stage. Uh, really? They, the Yeah, uh, they actually closed and reopened. So it might be completely different right now. But when I was going in like 2014, there were like, you know, 10,000 students <laughs> and they wow. all wanted to be on stage. It was highly competitive, but but beyond that, you know, it was random. There would be like a day of auditions for the improv teams and just was based on who did well that day. You know, it's just so hard to get an opportunity in a sea of people like that. And I always wanted to be on stage. I didn't want to keep practicing. I wanted to work it out in front of people. So a friend of mine ended up pointing me to the Annoyance Theater in New York uh, which was in Brooklyn, and that got me involved with the Brooklyn scene, which gets a little zanier, a little wackier, and really felt fulfilling to me because I wanted to do weird, crazy projects and show them to people with blood packets and uh, horrible messes of. Uh, one time, I uh, <laughs> one time I uh, poured an entire cold can of chicken noodle soup on my friend's head while she did the same thing to me. That was a fun show. Yeah, no, I think that's cool. I mean, it's an art form no matter how you slice it, right? Like that's really mm -hmm. what it is because it's not. And I, if you went back and listened to all my interviews of every comic I've ever spoken to, and I, I was going back because I've been, I have a, a point here, I promise. I was reorganizing my YouTube channel because I'm really trying to get that part of the brand going. Like 120 mm -hmm. comedians or more, and half are from LA, half of them are from New York. And I was doing this in preparation for my conversation with you, interestingly enough, because I find what you do comedy is that, but it's different, but it's funny. There's an audience for it, right? So it mm -hmm. just doesn't have to be vanilla or chocolate, so to speak. It can be spumoni, I guess, would be the way some people have described it because it's still entertaining to audiences, right? People seek it out. And it's, mm -hmm. I find what you say about UCB so interesting. I'm not shitting on them, but I do. I have mm -hmm. heard that before in the sense of like everybody wants to go there because everybody's gone there who's anybody. Mm -hmm. But so I want to ask, it's not just taking classes and performing them. You have to do you do a student produced show at all or is that even like hard to get at? Oh, do you mean like, would I do one of their shows? Well, no, what I'm asking is, is when you were in UCB and you took classes mm -hmm. there, you mentioned the fact that it was hard to get on stage. So it's not just about getting on stage. There's like a process and even that process is hard is what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I, there was uh, almost no opportunity to get on stage by the time I was there, because like you said, everyone had uh, done it. So everyone wanted to do it. Uh, if I had some advice for young people who are just looking to get started, I would say maybe don't go to the biggest, most popular place. <laughs> it's really, yeah, I mean, it's great to have structure, but 
the people who you're looking up to probably did those places when they were tiny little punk DIY spaces and they made it cool. And that's why it's huge now. I'm not saying don't take classes. At it's become be actually... more of a thing than anything else, right? Than yeah, an opportunity exactly. to perform. And their training is top notch. I have to say uh, it, it was a fantastic experience. But like, so go take classes over there or my favorite comedy theater to take classes at is called the Brooklyn Comedy Collective in Williamsburg. Do something like that. But then also just like put up weird stuff in bar basements, make stuff with your friends uh, that I think has honestly a little bit more potential and it's more fun. So if you had to start today, because you, how long have you been doing this? For a while, right? If you uh, like count when I was a, a teenager or, or in college, sure. But I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm young. I'll say I've been doing this for eight years. Okay. Well, that's a while. Even I like to count the time before. So now in the mm -hmm. age of social media and TikTok mm -hmm. and Instagram and YouTube, there's like really no reason to not get any kind of distribution of your material, right? Because you can just mm -hmm. put it anywhere. Absolutely. I feel like Gen Z kids are so much better at this than me, though. They understand how to do it naturally. And I see a lot of millennial comics struggle to figure out not not how to post things, but what the cadence is. Like the kids have this cadence. They built it. It's hard to to match them. They're smart and they know <laughs> when you can't do it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Even me. I'm just like, it's hard, right? Because gone are the days of sitting around waiting for the phone to ring for someone to discover mm -hmm. you. Like you have to do it yourself. And it's interesting, like this whole TikTok boom of crowd work has become a thing now uh, mm -hmm. and is getting people discovered in ways even like getting plucked out of obscurity because like- mm -hmm you've worked hard at what you've done. I've gone back and I've looked at all the things that you've done that's accessible on the internet and you're a very talented individual. So thank you. you. Absolutely. It's very true. Like obviously you wouldn't be having the publicist that you do promoting you to do stuff because you've measured some level of success. Right. So let's talk about the underground scene. So you discover this and you mm -hmm. find this is a place for you. How did you mm -hmm. lean into that and maximize the opportunities? Well, the first thing that happened was a little bit traumatic. So I took these classes and put up amazing fun stuff with my friends at this theater called The Annoyance New York. There's still a Chicago outpost. But after a couple of years of doing that, unfortunately, because of some funding issues, some liquor license issues, that theater just went away. And all of a sudden, this huge community of people who loved doing stuff together, it was a complete no man's land. There was, it, or I shouldn't say no man's land. Everyone was there. It was a wild west. It was like, where are we going to do our shows? What are we going to, what kind of stuff are we going to do? Where do we do it? Uh, and so it was already, there was, there's already, there was already a huge culture in Brooklyn of doing things in bar basements and tiny theaters and all these weird little venues but then I think that group kind of got unleashed there and uh, it became sort of a fun, crazy scavenger hunt. Um, so that <laughs> is, yeah, it gets wild. So that's sort of the big difference between the Brooklyn, you know, whatever you want to call it, underground scene, alt scene, 
um there, there's never a perfect name for it and uh and the manhattan club comedy scene is there isn't a club structure um if if people listening don't know about the club structure the clubs offer like a certain amount of structure they have auditions sometimes they yeah. promote people from within they'll ha- they'll try you out on shows if you do a good job they'll put you on bigger shows so there is like a framework and uh in at least in new york city over in brooklyn there's a lot less of that it's just about like putting up wild stuff and seeing what sticks so it's interesting so if somebody were looking to do what you do even just traditional stand-up would that be Mm -hmm. like the best place to start where you can where there's not the structure of maybe you start out as a door person or you start barking outside selling tickets and trying to get people to come um because your world is just so wildly different. Yeah. I mean, I think it's actually different strokes for different folks. I'd say if you're listening to this and your dream is like, I want to be just like John Mulaney. I want to, I want to be just like Seinfeld. I want to do stand up <laughs> comedy then. And, and I want it to be like my heroes. Then I would say go to, go to Manhattan if you're in New York and like figure out what the deal is at all those clubs. And It'll probably be a great fit and you'll have a great time. I think if you want to do things that are like less traditional, less structured, uh, less straight ahead stand up comedy, there are definitely great Manhattan venues for that. But you'll find a good community in Brooklyn. That's very cool. So for you, having done all this and having the success you've had, like what do you find to be validating for you as a creative? Like where do you find the most validation? Is it in performing is it from your peers? Where does that come from? I think there's nothing like performing for a big audience. I know that's not that interesting of an answer, but it's true. No, that's um, great. It's all of this prep work. I like writing. I like making these things, but that is the work of it. I think I'm at a point now of doing this long enough that I get on a stage. I completely blackout. I don't need my brain at that point. I am just doing it in my body. Sometimes I'll use my brain to like look at the crowd and be like, oh, they're liking that. Do more of that. Oh, that person's cracking up. I'm going to focus on them. But like it, there's it, it's certainly still work, but it's so free to just like feel good on the stage and, and let loose. I love it. So like out of all the things that you've done, where was a moment for you or was there a moment for you where you were, you, you solidified in yourself and in your mind, like this is definitely what I meant to be doing. Mm, that's a really good question. I think it was probably, so I started doing musical comedy. Like I, I had always had the skills and I wrote a funny little song every once in a while for a show, but I started doing it really seriously uh, like three, four years ago. And that felt right. And it was getting great reception. I I think I noticed that, um, you know, aspiring comedians listening, the biggest thing you need is a point of view. You need your own point of view, Um, your own style, maybe, but your own point of view, definitely, because otherwise anyone could say it. You know, I can go to chat GPT and say, write me a stand up set. Uh, And honestly, I bet people are doing that. But (laughs) I was um, not I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, it's very (laughs) like, yeah. I would venture to say there are people that are doing that. I think they are, but I think you might be able to tell by it having less of a personal point of view. 
even if you're a straight ahead stand up comic, it, it goes through your filter. And that's the most important thing. And when I started doing musical comedy, I realized it was using all of my skills. It felt really good. Uh, I was one of the few people who had the ability to do this. And it was just clicking. I just knew. And then the thing that really made me just know, if I'm being totally honest, is, you know, I started to see those bookings increase. And at, of at course, a certain that's point, that's really doing, it. Yeah. I mean, people are wanting you. Yeah. That's the validation, you know, doing one show a month and then for a few years and then getting to like sometimes like, oh my God, I did it. I, I have done like week stretches where there's a show every night and it's tiring, but it feels really, really validating. People want to see you. That's funny about chat GPT. I was just sitting here thinking about <laughs> like, you probably could go in there and said, give me a five minute comedy set on drivers. And it would probably spit out something, you know, like that. But I think true yeah. professionals like you or anybody else would probably be able to tell, like there would probably be something <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> chat yeah, GPT we'll see. Back. I mean, it could get there at a certain point. Hey, listen, if you're going to do the chat GPT stand-up generation route, just just try to do this, see if you can make it better. I want to stand up set for five minutes about this from the point of view of, and then like type in your own point of view, see if see if the AI can get it. Right, or pretty soon you're sounding like Theo Vaughn. Um, that's uh-huh. pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations, Ian. This is a lot of fun if people want to Thank connect you. with you about the project. To watch it, where can they learn more about you? Absolutely follow me on all socials and Instagram. If you DM me, girl, I'll respond to you so quickly. But uh, yeah, find me on there. Find me on YouTube and TikTok and you'll see these uh, th- these videos. They're, they're real fun. And I get to work with really amazing people putting them together. The videos especially, which is why I feel confident being like, oh, they're incredible. Because if it were just my work, I'd be way more humble. But since it's these incredible collaborators, I'm like, oh, you got to watch this. This this Orbo video was directed by a director named Michelle Gold. She's so talented. And she also did all of the batshit insane CGI work in the video. And if if hearing the phrase batshit insane CGI work tickles something in your brain, go watch that video. Absolutely. Well, this is a lot of fun. Ian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you hanging out today. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A major proportion. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember, we care. <laughs>